Steps on, going for Fitzgerald, touchdown Arizona. David Johnson off to the races. He will score, touchdown Arizona. And it is Patrick Peterson who comes up with the spectacular interception. Welcome to episode 105 of the British Bird Gang Breakdown, and we've had a few days to stew over the latest Arizona Cardinals result, so expect cool takes as opposed to our usual hot takes. So let's begin. As always, I'm Tom, and I'm joined by Callum. Hiya. Oh man, Tom. What a, a, a sad game to have to break down. Um, I mean, I've had like five days to cool down, I've had five days to chill out about it, but it's still, yeah, it's still a real shame. Yeah, especially after staying up to like four o'clock in the morning to watch it, you know, just one of those games. Yeah, I mean, I I kind of wish. So I I just woke up in the morning and watched the uh, the game in sixty minutes, but I kind of wish that I had been spoiled on it to be honest, because I I might have considered not looking so hopefully towards the game while I was uh, waiting to watch it. Well, before we actually get on to breaking down the game, we've actually got some news to talk about this week. Yeah. Bit of a signing. Kind of big signing as well. Yeah. And the Cardinals went to, into their Week 11 game versus Seattle with more defensive linemen on injured reserve than were actually on the active roster. So bodies were needed, and it appears that they've zeroed in on a big body itself. DeMarta Pecco, a 53, <laughs> a 35-year-old, formerly of the Bengals, Broncos, and Ravens. Uh yeah, you know, so uh big name in more ways than one as well. Uh six foot three and uh three hundred and twenty-five pounds, so you know, big imposing body to get on the field. He definitely fills the nose tackle void that Corey Peters has left. Yeah, I, I mean this guy is like archetypical nose tackle at that kind of stats, right? Three hundred and twenty-five pounds, that's just huge. And then six three as well. No one's gonna run past him really. Yeah, exactly. And you like I mean the the main thing that you hope is that um he's going to have the kind of athleticism to be able to move that body essentially where he's needed. But, um, you know, it's the sort of thing that you can, you can only kind of just wait and hope for um, and hope that he's managed to sort of stay conditioned um, while he's not been on the field and stuff. Yeah. Cause he was, he hasn't been on the roster since the Ravens back in 2019. So he's had like probably like a season off plus like whatever this is now half a season but i mean the, you know that's not to say that that he would be uh he'd be rubbish you know a lot of these guys do really invest their their time and energy into kind of keeping fit and keeping sort of game ready because they know that a call like this can come at any time and you would hope that the uh you know the cardinals front office when they're looking for people like this that you know, especially in this situation, they're only looking for guys who are ready to play. I don't think he's the sort of guy who's investing a million dollars into his body every season, though. <laughs> I don't think it'd be quite a million dollars, but um, investing time, at least, that's the main thing. He was actually with the Broncos at the same time that Vance Joseph was their head coach, so I assume he's got some sort of familiarity with the defense we're running at the moment. I mean, that's that would be good. I mean, any I guess any time you've got you know familiarity with a coach or something like that is going to help you fit in that bit easier and you know as i sort of alluded to we we need somebody who's ready to fit in right now you know we are are low on on bodies there and speaking of us being low on bodies we actually made even more moves on tuesday before we actually came to record this podcast for once 
Yeah, that's uh, odd in, indeed. And yeah, two more or three more defensive linemen uh, being added. Yes, we signed PJ Johnson, Dylan Mack, and Stacy McGee to the practice squad. Not to really know anything about those three, only that they were in for a workout probably like last week, early sometime. So obviously, with COVID protocols, you had to wait to like sign anywhere until they were clear yeah of course and you know that's that's obviously part of the issue with the short week we were on and stuff like that as we discussed but at this point you see three guys like that coming in you know fitting the same profile and whatever i suspect that to some extent we will see them doing kind of extended workouts and and sort of seeing who is kind of the next man up as it were yeah and you also designated zach allen from the return from ir list so like Rashad Lawrence, he's got three weeks now to be activated to the full 53-man roster. Otherwise, he'd have to move back to IR for the rest of the season. Yeah, which means that there's, you know, there's pressure on understanding what's left. And, you know, as we kind of move into the, the kind of back third of the season, if you like, that's the kind of moves that you're going to have to make. You know, you're going to have to be saying to people like, hey, uh, either you're ready or you're not, you know, like, let's let's uh speed things along here well they've got a good three weeks to figure it out haven't they and also it depends on how he's recovered from his injury yeah absolutely and of course we've got another piece of news massive news obviously that pro bowl vaulting is now open i mean i i never bother voting for the cardinals in the pro bowl because they're just going to get to the super bowl you know what's the what's the point i mean you still get a nice jersey even if they don't <laughs> actually end up there yeah for sure no i i always make sure and have a look at the pro bowl votes and see who's about and, and all of that sort of stuff because apart from anything else it's always a fun uh chance to kind of look back at the season so far and you know look at who's been performing well and who hasn't any cardinals off the top of your head you think should make it i i mean nobody more than the obvious lot you know sometimes you look at the voting and it's you do see cardinals players and then you're like okay i could see why you'd be in with an outside chance but you know generally outside of the big you know the the, the big names uh, i'm always looking at it and going like you know yeah sure it'd be cool to get you a spot there but i can see why you know whoever else is uh, uh, more deserving, I guess. I mean, obviously, Carla Murray will have to be there, and also DeAndre Hopkins, Buda Baker as well. Buda Baker, yeah, big time. Can't really think of anyone else over those over the nose free yeah it's uh those are the kind of you know the big names i would say for sure and and uh fetz always gets a vote from me just a token vote because of who he is not just because of his performance or not because of his performance because he doesn't really do much to me i don't think it's really news until we find out who's in the pro bowl yeah but people have to know when they can actually vote for people even though it's probably too early in the season to actually do it yet <laughs> is this our call to action then is this our uh Everybody, make sure you are registered and you get out to vote moment. Yeah, but I don't think anyone has to register for this one. I think Russian, Russian bots can overtake this. <laughs> oh, definitely. As long as they get Yannick and Gagway to it, you know, that'd be fine. All right. I think it's the time that we've been uh, trying to avoid by discussing the Pro Bowl, but we're going to need to talk about the game sooner rather than later. Yeah, I suppose we'll have to get on to our game recap of the Seahawks 28 Cardinals 21 game from the past Thursday Night Football. Yep, uh, another sort of heartbreaking loss. Another could could have been what could have been in the uh, Cardinals' twenty twenty season, f- making us fall to a six and four. Yeah, but we did keep the streak of scoring at least twenty one points in a game alive. I think that's now a franchise record, thirteen in a row. I mean, that's that's a real positive for sure. You know, it's like the fact that when we're losing, you know, it's not like we're getting shut out. We're not, you know, not scoring points, and much like a few seasons ago when 
you know, the offense was just always stalling on the field and it felt like every week we were going out, there was a chance we were going to score absolutely nothing. You know, at least this time we're, we're putting up points all the time. We just seem to be making more mistakes than our opponents when it comes to these close losses. You know, when we play mistake-free football, you know, I don't think there's many teams in the league that could stay with us, but we're just not getting that at the moment, Tom. Yeah, I think, you know, this one was a combination of the the Cardinals beat themselves. You know, there was just far too many penalties and, and some of them, which I'm sure we'll talk about in more detail, were, were just seriously unnecessary as well. But I think as well, you know, the other thing is that let's not forget, you know, the Seahawks played extremely well. This is probably the best the Seahawks have played since before they were beaten by the Cardinals. You know, it, it's like kind of Russell Wilson seemed to be back to his old self and their defense was picking itself up a little bit more as well. So, you know, I, I think it's, you're, you're right. Like if we are not making mistakes, then there's not many people can keep up with us. But, you know, on top of that, we were playing a good team at the same time. It does sound like we're going towards the negatives to kick off this episode. So why don't we kick off there? Break them down first before we get to whatever positives we could scrape together. <laughs> well, I mean, if we're going into negatives, we've already mentioned it, but you, we can't not talk about the penalties. I know, just once again, they make it onto our negative section. You know, there were some big ones. The 41-yard DPI on Patrick Peterson stands out, but probably the most egregious one was from Drake Kirkpatrick who basically gave them seven points of his stupidity. Yeah, I mean, that's that's definitely the one that was talked about most after the game. You know, that's the one that, that you know, there's a lot of people that blame this entire loss on him. And for sure, you know, if he hadn't done that, you know, the Seahawks don't score there. And therefore, you know, we, we sort of have more chance in the game. Um, and, you know, bear in mind, we only lost by seven points. But, you know, equally, it's, it's like it is just one of the penalties that was committed. Yeah, I think we now lead the league in penalty yardage given up throughout the whole season. So that's not a good stat to be leading the league in. Yeah, for sure. It's uh, definitely, you know, something that's costing us. And, and, you know, you can point to this game as an exact example of, uh, you know, a penalty that cost us, cost us the game. But, you know, if you look back to, for, for instance, the loss against Carolina, when we were talking about, you know, all these penalties that were causing stalled drives, that's, you know, that's the same kind of thing again, right? Yeah, I mean, we had a few of those in this one, which we'll touch on again in our next negative, but, I mean, the penalties on the defense just weren't great. Like, the one on Kirkpatrick made no sense at all. Like, why did he even bother getting involved when he was nowhere near the play? Yeah, I mean, I understand that it's football and emotions run high and everything, but, you know, this is the sort of thing that, you know, veteran players, you know, are good at, or are, are player, good players, shall we say, are always good at being able to keep their emotions in check at that point in time, you know, and just accept what's happening and move on, you know, and a, a penalty like that, let's face it, that flag could have come out for anyone during that kind of scuffle, you know, if, if there was a punch thrown, if the ref managed to just hear the wrong words from somebody else and that penalty goes a different way, but you know, in the end, it comes down on Kirkpatrick's shoulders, and and you know, uh, I'm sure he, I'm sure he is more aware than anyone else that that gave up seven points, that gave up a touchdown. I mean, on that play as well, in particular, like he wasn't the only one at fault because DK Metcalf had a bit of a shove on a couple of people. So really, he probably should have been like offsetting penalties, but he decided not to call one on them, which didn't make any sense. I think there was definitely, you know. 
there was definitely a, an element of bad luck in how that was called but you know the cardinals managed to keep their emotions in check the, the the general cardinals that were in that scuffle managed to keep their emotions in check the play's done you know uh, we stopped seattle there yeah exactly because i think it, it did have been in field goal range at least i think but I, I think they were technically in field goal range at the time yeah but then they give up that penalty and then it's like very next pl- i think it took one play and he scored a touchdown from it i mean like even if they didn't you know it's 15 yards and a first down in the red zone right you know you you can't give someone like russell wilson the opportunity for that when you've just worked so hard to stop him i know exactly because like that was another thing really that should be touched on the negatives like we just seem to struggle to get them off the field yeah i would definitely agree with that there was I, i've not looked at the stats or anything but you know the number of um third down and fourth down conversions they they were getting is you know it was definitely feeling higher and i think that that was for me anyway that was our lack of pressure on the quarterback you know we were really feeling that sort of missing defensive lineman slot really yeah i was gonna say because like we could pin a lot of things on the defense on this one but the fact is we came into this game shorthanded and it's not really any fault of our own is it when it's injuries and like you're not able to bring in reinforcements due to these new regulations and all that so just had to make do with what we had yeah, I mean, lack of reinforcements because of COVID regulations, short week, etc. And, and just the way that our injuries have fallen, you know, that whole unit was um, was shorthanded. And the thing is, is, you know, when a unit like that gets shorthanded, not only are you down to, like, for want of a better way to describe it, your B-grade players, but you also then can't rotate players out for a series if they're feeling particularly tired or beaten up or whatever. You've just got to keep them out there. And of course, they're going to, play worse because of that well yeah because like we went into this game we had like four defensive linemen and considering we're a three four defense primarily using like three defensive linemen that leaves like one guy for rotation so like i assume most plays we'd have like maybe two or less defensive linemen on the field just because he can't yeah. actually play all that time can he i mean the one thing that i was hoping would kind of balance it out there is that seattle's offensive line play has been particularly bad but to be fair to them, they also managed to step that up. And then, you know, once again, you know, as you said, we've got that one guy in and out for rotations, and that's just not sufficient for, you know, as you said, playing a playing a three four defense like we are. And exactly like with five players on like injured reserve, that's just like one, you know, you could get away with like that's just bad luck too, you know. It could happen. But like five people from the same position group injured at the same time, that's just terrible luck. And not only that, but you know, one of them is is arguably one of your star players in Chandler Jones. Yeah, exactly. And then, like, obviously, Corey Peters is a big loss in the middle of that defensive line. You know, we've not got anyone to like make that up. Um, yeah, and you know, you end up with a group that is is younger and less experienced, and you know, just less imposing, I guess. And if you can't then put that pressure on um, Russell Wilson or whatever, he's going to you know, he's going to be able to score and, and they do have a talented wide receiver group who is going to be able to get themselves open. Yeah, I mean, he did have moments where the defensive line did get pressure on him because we did finish the game with free sack. Yeah, and, and once again, you know, as I said, their their offensive line unit is particularly poor uh, at the moment and was able to step up and was able to do a good job for, for who they are and who they're made up of. If we're playing that against a, 
a quarterback who's got good protection, we got to be you know ready for for a bit of a shock. I think. And I think it seems as we've moved on to offensive line, we should move on to our offensive line. It's been another negative from this game. Yeah, this is a one of the things that I think is a real shame because I, you know, the the storyline of the season so far has been one of improvement for them. Yeah, because I mean, like it's been. I can't even remember the last time we actually had the offensive line in our negative section, or at least not as a whole unit. Yeah, I'm thinking it's probably last season. Yeah, but going into this game, we still led the NFL in fewest quarterback hits given up. I still think like even after this game, they're probably still top, just obviously the lead's nowhere near as big as it was. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, and partially like credit to Kyla Murray for being able to you know get out of the pocket and make stuff happen you know when there's nothing else there definitely an offensive line um job to that they've been doing and a great job that they've been doing so far but you know after a game like this it's uh they, they definitely deserve to go into the negative pile yeah it's fair to say he did an awful job keeping kyla clean in this one he was sacked three times hit seven times and he gave up a total of a hundred yards of penalties between them all I mean, a hundred yards of penalties from one possession group is pretty inexcusable, really. It's like that is a, a guaranteed touchdown worth of offense to you know that they've that they've squandered away, if you like. One thing I can't figure out though in this COVID era though is how can anyone false start in an empty stadium? Yeah, I know that's that's it's a penalty we've been seeing less and less with no crowds around to you know cover counts and stuff like that, but. Yeah, it makes me wonder, you know, like, were, were they particularly nervous about this game or something? I mean, there were a couple of them which were a bit dodgy. Like, I know there was definitely one on DJ Humphreys that was like, he didn't even move at all, yet it was still cold. Yeah, I mean, I think the refs were being quite stringent on it, but, you know, equally, it's uh, it, it, it's something that you just shouldn't be getting caught doing in a situation like that. And I think it's obviously not a coincidence as well that we wel- we welcome J.R. Sweezy back into the starting <laughs> lineup. You know, everything just seems to go to shit. Yeah. <laughs> it's funny that, isn't it? It's like just a, it's such an odd moment. But I mean, at the end of the day as well, like we've spoken about it before, you know, the offensive line is is a true unit in that meaning of the word in so far as, you know, each member feeds off of the other members and they've all got to know where they're going and what they're doing and who their block is and all of that sort of stuff. And if you've got, you know, if you're not all firing on all cylinders and if you're not all on exactly the same page, then the whole unit's going to suffer because of that. And I think part of what we're seeing here might just be all of a sudden that, you know, there's a new guy in the lineup and the chemistry is different. I move on to our final negative that I've got down on the list. And it just seems like we're joining the pile on here. A second appearance in two weeks for Patrick Peterson. But I guess it has to be done, doesn't it? I did defend Patrick Peterson last week, and, and I will continue to defend him to an element, you know, of, for everyone going into this game and talking about, you know, how amazing DK Metcalf is and how we should have drafted DK Metcalf and all of that sort of stuff. You know, Patrick Peterson was able to keep him, you know, relatively quiet for DK Metcalf numbers. Yeah, because I think he still only managed like three catches, but he did give up a couple of big plays like the defensive pass interference penalty on him for like 40 plus yards that was not a good one yeah that's that's a big thing to give up and from what i remember you know like watching that i can understand that i reckon there's a certain element where peter was just getting frustrated um with the way that he was trying to having to cover and all of that stuff but i also think that that pass interference was relatively unnecessary i mean it was a tough one to call on him because he barely had a 
like he might have had a bit of a hand on the jersey, but like it wasn't going to affect DK Metcalf, that sort of thing. <laughs> yeah, that's true. I think it's it's hard with something like that because you got to kind of have you know you got to have a, a a hard and fast rule for something that isn't necessarily that cut and dry, you know. And it's it's that sort of like, well, if he's got a hand on the jersey at all, then you've got to you got to call that. I mean, he had his moments of doing well in the game, but you know. Sometimes it's tough to actually defend him, especially when everyone seems to be totally against him, just just in general. <laughs> yeah, for sure. I think, you know, it, when it comes to Patrick Peterson, it's, again, you know, it's a real problem with cornerbacks is you don't hear about them unless they have made a spectacular interception or they've messed up, you know. Um, I still think that for the majority of plays that he was involved in, he was doing really well. It's just a shame about the plays that he did give up. And they're the ones that people remember, as always. Exactly, exactly. There are some plays we can actually remember in this one, and that's when we get onto our positive section from the game. Yeah, for sure. And, you know, right up top, it has to be, you know, a a young guy who started life off in our negatives column, but... um, you know, really, I feel is coming into his own, and that's Isaiah Simmons. Yep, the British Birdgang player of the game for this one, with 80 plus percent of the vote, no less. He had a stunking game on Thursday night 10 total tackles, two tackles for loss, a pass breakup, and the sack on Russell Wilson. He was just everywhere, wasn't he? You know, and this is a guy who, you know, let's face it, or let's remember, was, you know, everyone was struggling to find where he's going to fit into this defense and and you know week one against the 49ers he made a big mistake and uh you know lots of people kind of ragging on him for that but you know the way he's come into his own now and the way he's adjusted to nfl level of play and pace of play and everything it makes me wonder you know how much more he could have been doing already this season if we'd had the you know traditional preseason games and we'd had proper camps and stuff like that i think the past breakup needs to be like highlighted as well because that was like 30 yards down the field still covering I think it was a running back wasn't it yeah you know that was just a heck of a play by him yeah I mean it's it's just uh you know it, it goes to show his versatility and um it's something that is uh you know really exciting to watch and the fact that uh he's able to you know kind of be everywhere on defense I think is going to make him you know be a, a staple of our defense in the in the years to come and hopefully these are just like the start this is just like the start of things to come for him you know as his re-debut for us i'm hoping that you see that sometimes especially with rookie players they get their kind of you know breakout game and then the the confidence levels just go up and i'm hoping you know not only has he got those confidence levels but due to you know injuries on defense and stuff like that he's going to be getting more and more opportunities and hopefully we continue to see him you know get himself involved and i know that he's not going to be able to put up numbers like this every week but if he's able to put up some consistent numbers for the rest of the season i'm sure he'll be looking at a proper starting position next year i don't know to be fair he is playing linebacker so 10 tackles the game is not really out of the question that much that's true yeah i guess the 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 10 tackles is kind of the bread and butter the stuff that makes it really exciting is the is the pass breakup and getting in there for the sack the way he did i mean as long as we start crowding the quarterback a bit more you know and they're not able to escape he could just be there to mop it all up can't he take all the credit <laughs> yeah to, to mop it up 
it's it's sometimes about getting that you know like getting to that second level and getting that push beyond the offensive line um and i think that's something that uh is quite exciting watching him do another player that's exciting to watch is deandre hopkins and his first catch in this game gave him 700 in his career becoming the youngest player in nfl history to reach the landmark they're just 28 years and 166 days old. Man, that's uh, it's such an impressive uh, amount of catches. And, you know, the fact that he's been able to be, you know, so consistent and get so many so quickly with the Cardinals is, uh, you know, it's just testament to how and why he's been able to do this so far. He surpassed some dude called Larry Fitzgerald, who was an old man when he did it at 29 years and 23 days old. <laughs> I Yeah, I was quite shocked when I heard this because I, I sort of realised that that record must have stood for quite a while. Yeah, because I don't think anyone's really come close to it since that. And obviously when they get older, they can't really beat DeAndre Hopkins, can they? <laughs> yeah, exactly. 28 years old and... and you know 700 catches and it's definitely a, a nice little thing to celebrate in the midst of a, a loss that you know wasn't that great do you think he'll have like a thousand catches before he's 30 uh well that would require him probably not now yeah that's a particularly good run at you know the end of this season and the start of next but uh i mean i would like to see him get 300 catches in a season that'd be that would be exciting this isn't madden though <laughs> yeah I wouldn't be surprised if he reached the thousand mark, you know, as one of the youngest players to reach it. But um, getting it before he's 30 seems uh, highly unlikely. I'd assume Larry Fitzgerald probably owns like the 800, 900 catch sort of thing as well. I mean, it's all about the consistency and stuff like that. And I guess the one thing that Fitz didn't have going for him was consistently good quarterbacking. And you would hope that, you know, with Nook seeming to be, you know, here in Arizona for a while, and pairing up so well with Kyler Murray that that consistency will help him beat those records earlier. I mean, he should have a thousand catches in his career by the time his contract here ends. So, oh yeah, we'll hold for him sure, to that. for sure. <laughs> Bookmark this for like five years in the future. <laughs> yeah, exactly. For episode like two hundred and twenty of the British Bird Gang breakdown. But yeah, well, actually, speaking of Larry Fitzgerald, we've got some you know good positives for him. I think on Thursday night football. Yeah, I mean, we don't actually mention him on this podcast much anymore, besides the token like announcement of him. <laughs> he got his catch, everyone. He got his catch. It's okay. 253 now, I think it is in a row. Man, that's insane. And DeAndre Hopkins is actually on 120 now with one. So a few years down the line, maybe he's caught up to Larry. Yeah, I mean, that's 120 is a pretty solid uh, run at it as well, really. Yeah, and it's fair to say Larry Fitzgerald had a solid game on Thursday Night Football with eight catches for 62 yards, both leading the team by a fair bit. It's always nice to see uh, Fitz when he gets into a rhythm, and that was definitely the feeling that I got watching this game was was a rhythm. You know, he was able to beat whatever man he was in front. He was getting good routes, and, you know, he was always in the right place at the right time. And I think especially, you know, when you're in a... Uh, a situation where you're up against it you know if you're Kylo Murray you just know that Fitz is going to catch it you know it's such an easy safety relief valve and he's actually got a new record to his name now in the record books although for once he's not actually surpassed Jerry Rice for this one <laughs> okay so what's what's the record he's now the sole leader in the most catches in an opposing team stadium category which is actually a thing I wasn't aware of that <laughs> neither was I but I'm not surprised either Yes, because Reggie Wayne had 83 in Jacksonville Stadium, 
from his time as an Indianapolis Colt. Okay. But Larry Fitzgerald has now has 90 catches in Quest Field slash CenturyLink Field slash Seahawks Stadium slash Lumen Field, you know, whatever you want to call it these days. In that building. That's, that's quite exciting. And especially to have it in, well, it's obviously going to be a division rival, but like for it to be the kind of, I guess, quintessential rival. Yeah, I mean, he's always delivered even when we might not have done. But I suppose over the last few years, you know, we've had good games there. And I suppose this was another one of them, even though the result didn't go our way. I, I mean, I think you could argue that minus the penalties, you know, the Cardinals played well. Yeah, I'm not saying he didn't play well because, you know, he did play well. And obviously, a couple more things go our way that don't go Seattle's way. Could be a completely different episode of the podcast. Oh, yeah, definitely. I mean, like, we've mentioned it before, but even on that, that the call against Kirkpatrick, if they just happen to to hear, you know, one of the Seahawks players, uh, you know, shouting the wrong thing first or watch somebody catch, uh, slow, throw a, a punch or something. Uh, totally different game, but I mean it's not all bad news though because we're still six and four in in the playoffs as things stands. Not only that, but we are six and four in the hardest division in football after splitting the se- splitting the series with the division leader. That's a pretty big thing, really. Yeah, we might have lost a little ground to Seattle and LA in the division, but you know we still got six games to play, and we're currently the number seven seed, which we're probably only Chicago to like beat us out for that. For that last spot yeah yeah that seems about right i mean the nfc obviously a little bit more competitive this this year as well but except for the east except for the east yeah we'd be winning that division we, we would be winning that division uh, to be fair i mean half of the nfl would be winning that division it's shocking out there but yeah yeah you, we, you there's a certain element where you've got to you know pick yourself up from a loss like that and look at it and say okay six and four We've already surpassed the number of wins that most of us thought we were going to get this season. You know, we've got some really good wins in there. We've got a schedule coming up with potential wins on it, and we are still in the playoffs for sure at the moment. Yeah, I mean, looking at the last six games we've got, we probably need to win at least three of them to get to nine wins, which might, which should probably be good enough for the playoffs. Yeah. Because that would require, like, Chicago winning five of their last six yeah, and and you know if you think about it in terms of you know games that we've got, there there's definitely winnable games in that in that. But we won't jinx them this early because we've done that before many a time, and it's backfired on us. Well, shall we wrap up this game with our traditional Kyler Murray section? Yeah, I mean I scraped enough together to put together a little Kyler Murray section. Obviously, little because he's little. Let's <laughs> start off with positives. Uh, no turnovers. Yeah, it wasn't his best game ever with 269 yards passing and a touchdown apiece to Chase Edmonds and Dan Arnold. You know, we'll take that, especially with no turnovers. I think that's the key stat there. You know, that's the key thing that makes it positive is in a game when, you know, our offensive line was, wasn't being great and, you know, there was a lot of pressure and there was, you know, there was a couple of throws in there and a couple of uh, series that the Cardinals played, which were extremely high pressure. You know, they were score or or you know or score or lose effectively um and he managed to keep his head and and not get you know the the turnover and you know the thing is is if we had had a turnover somewhere in that game i think that this you know we would be really struggling for positives to get out of it one negative was the fact that he was held in the running game and in every game that he's rushed for less than 20 yards the cardinals have actually lost i didn't know that actually it kind of makes sense i guess you know it's it's that 
if you're able to stop him running, I guess you take away a lot of his uh, problem-solving ability, shall we say, you know, his ability to make something out of nothing. Although that is actually from a small sample size, so can you actually come to that conclusion just yet? Well, we can we can come to the, the conclusion as written that in every game he's rushed for less than 20 yards, the Cardinals have lost, but uh, as to whether or not that's actually um, correlation then or as as if, if it's causation we will have to wait and see another positive was the fact that he finished second in the british bird gang player of the game <laughs> this is where i'm actually sweeping the barrel now. yeah you definitely are especially given that uh our actual player of the game got 80 percent of the votes so kyler's must have been quite a small uh small number of votes in the end but you know still i think you got like six percent something like that so you know <laughs> there's still people out there who think he's player of the game and that's fair it wasn't me even though i'm always tempted to vote for him i did actually vote for simmons this time yeah i think that's a, a very fair simmons vote but of course the big negative coming from the game about kyle murray is the fact that his shoulder might be hurt with a sprained AC joint, apparently. Yeah, I mean, um, it seems as though from kind of latest chat from Cliff Kingsbury that he's going to be fine for uh, next week's game, especially after having a kind of extra long week to rest it. But it's obviously something you never want to see. You never want to see uh, your your quarterback getting particularly hurt in any way because that's, you know, therein lies the path to ruin. And I mean, I guess the good thing is, is that he was able to take... A you know relatively minor injury and play through it, and that's always good to good to see. His passes didn't look too bad after he'd injured it. Apparently, you know. Yeah, I didn't think they did either. You know, and that's that's a huge positive for me in terms of you know durability, especially when you know we were drafting Kyler Murray and everybody was saying no, he's he's too small, he's too fragile. But if he's playing through stuff like that, then you know it it makes me you know unconcerned, shall we say. It could just be a massive ruse as well, you know, just trying to lure New England into the fact that they might be playing <laughs> Brett Hundley instead. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, they're just watching loads of Brett Hundley film at the moment over there. Or they're digging through the CFL archives for some Chris Streveler footage. Oh, man. Let's let's not go down a, a route like that again, shall we? We should get onto some fantasy football, though, because that's it for the Seattle game recap. Let's Let's stop talking about that game forever, shall we? Until next year. Until next year. How, how, or maybe if we meet in the playoffs. How did you get on in, uh, in your Bird Gang Bowl? Well, I mean, it had to happen sometime. The run of wins is over in the Bird Gang Bowl for Isabella Necessary on a Bike. We went down 151.88 to 113.76 to Victoria's Secret. Calamari was my top scorer, and he was putting in his worst fantasy performance of the season. You know... Mike Davis, Amari Cooper, Johnny Smith, and the Washington football team defense. We do the others who came with double digits, so you know, just wasn't my week. Can't complain about it. It's unfortunate, but sometimes it happens, you know. It's a big game this week coming up, though. Who have you got this week? I'm now the number two team in the league. I've got the number one team. My tight end hurts when I hurt. <laughs> Sorry, that's good. I like that one. It's been a while since we did the cursing, so I forget everybody's uh, everybody's names. The curse did work in League One, actually, because the team who we cursed is actually bottom of the league. Oh man, that's that's got to hurt. We're, I'm, I'm not sure if I'm sorry or if I'm just uh, ready to wield my power on somebody again. We could be proud of our success for once. Yeah. Well, speaking of success in the British Bird Gang, um, I won again narrowly. I've got to say, I had 100% committed myself to uh, losing this week. 
against Buddha Wooda Kuda uh, uh, Ben's team, and uh, they had 150.54 points going into uh, Monday Night Football. I had one player left to play, and I was down about thir- uh, down about 25 points. And all of a sudden, Cooper Cup comes in and scores like twenty five points in one in one game, and I won one hundred and fifty point eight two to one hundred and fifty point five four. I have a similar story to that in the dynasty league. Go on then. I went to bed last night with a slender lead over Dave State forty eight. You know, potentially giving me our third win of the season. He had Robert Wood to score thirty plus, along with Leonard Fournette and a couple of others to take a 155.06 to 144.22 loss for me to move me on to 2 and 9 for the season. Yeah, unfortunately I lost in the in the uh the dynasty league as well, taking me down to third, uh the lowest I've been I think all season, 7 and 4, which doesn't feel good. I uh, I lost uh, 173.16 to 141.38 against uh, the number 1 ranked beats by DeAndre which was a real unfortunate loss. But, you know, I was dealing with quite a few sort of odd injuries and bye weeks and stuff. I had to cobble together a bit of a, a mismatch team. So I'm feeling a bit more confident about next week, though. I mean, I wish I had seven wins, to be fair. <laughs> I mean, the thing is, though, my team now, I've left plenty of points on the bench this week because the team is actually starting to get healthy. But, you know, it's just too little too late for this season. I mean, that's the thing. It's like, at least if you know you can score points in a dynasty league, then you know that, you know, if you're less unlucky with injuries next year, you've got a basis to build from. Yeah, I might be able to get another trophy, the winningest trophy this time. Instead, I'll have to settle for the wooden spoon. (laughs) Well, we'll see, because uh, you and I are slated for our second meeting of the year uh, this week. Yeah, week 12, we'll see Pony Perdwitz take on Coach Callum's car crash. So yeah, if I lose this, I think it's almost a near certainty that I finish with the worst record and the top pick in the 2021 rookie draft. Yeah, I think it would be hard for you to come back from this one, but um, you know we'll have to wait and see because, as I said, you know I've got some some injuries and stuff to deal with. I'm hoping that my waivers clear well uh, this week because I definitely need some uh, issues addressed. Who are you going for in waivers so I could steal them? I'm not. I'm not telling you. Just so I could steal them. <laughs> ah well thanksgiving games anyway that's thanksgiving for me actually <laughs> thanksgiving just gotta absolutely uh send yourself down then again you know talking about well fantasy and stuff like that uh both of us had a pretty shocking week in the weekly pickums yeah it was a shocking week throughout the pickums are really because no one seemed to score highly especially not in the british bird gang league I mean, especially not us pair either because we finished with a lackluster six points apiece I think is even after scoring six points, I didn't change anywhere in the rankings for the British Bird Gang League. So that goes to show you how uh, it wasn't a great, you know, great game for anyone really. I think the highest I scored was probably like eight or nine, maybe. There was definitely no one in double digits this week. Yeah, which is you know, I guess kind of unsurprising with some of the uh, some of the upsets that we saw. But uh, yeah, that was uh, definitely definitely my worst week of the season so far. That being said, I think this uh, this week we will be, you know, once again either either going really well together or going really badly together because we've only got two differences. Yep. So the same ones we've gone for this week, we've gone for Pittsburgh over Baltimore, the Raiders over Atlanta, Buffalo over LAX, NYG over Cincinnati, Indianapolis over Tennessee, 
Cleveland over Jacksonville, Minnesota over Carolina, Miami over New York Jets, the Saints over the Broncos, the Rams over the Niners, Kansas City over Tampa Bay, Green Bay over Chicago, and Seattle beating Philadelphia. Which were all, I think, the relatively uh, safe plays, really. Yeah, I think I played it safe this week, only going for two mini upsets, I suppose. But I say upsets, they just might be stupid picks on my part, but who knows? Well, the the first one, uh, the first of our differences is one that I definitely feel more stupid about now. Um, and that is the Houston-Detroit game where you've gone with Houston and I've gone with Detroit. I mean, I can't forgive Detroit for putting up zero points against Atlanta last week. Yeah, especially with the with the state uh, that Atlanta was in as well. It's really, you know, it's something that's that's pretty hard to to pick Detroit here. And, and, you know, I think I was thinking, I was in two minds about it at the time. I was like, do I take the risk? Don't I? And I took the risk and I'm not going to go back on it because... It's you know it's not fun to go back on it, but in my mind I was still thinking of the Houston of three or four weeks ago. But really, that Houston team's rallied a little bit, um, and Detroit in the meantime has been falling down and down and getting worse. So I, I doubt that we will see a Detroit victory. But if we do, then I'm taking the point. It's a nice early Thanksgiving game as well. This one, yeah, it is, isn't it? It's a, a odd timing for those of it, uh, those of us at work in the UK, but it's you know I'll take it. A nice half past five kickoff, I think it is, for the first one. And then the second difference is actually in the second of the Thanksgiving triple header. The extremely traditional uh, Washington-Dallas game. Where I've decided to go for Washington. I mean, this one's a choice of one type of car crash or another, really, isn't it? I mean, it's NFC East, you know. Whoever's going to win that one, you know. Going to finish with a losing record, surely. Yeah, it's, it's, I strongly suspect they will. But um, what's your what's your reason for going Washington? Just because I've got more Washington players in fantasy, so... <laughs> yeah, okay, okay, fair enough. And when I say more Washington players, I just mean Antonio Gibson. Anyone else, you, <laughs> you, know, just, you can just, just go away. You just need Gibson to do well. Yeah, I don't know. I think it's... Uh, I mean, for me, I think Dallas were the favourites. Uh, I think that... You know, for all their flaws and the and the issues that they've had putting up extreme amounts of points and stuff, they do have a track record of actually scoring points this season. Um, and the Washington football team doesn't. I mean, they've been playing well the past couple of weeks. They did well on Sunday against Cincinnati, although they did take out Joe Burrow. I was going to say, yeah, they also they also you know knocked out their starting quarterback. But you know, for me, every time I've watched, you know, or at least uh, red zoned. Uh, uh, Washington game it seems as though they're always trying to pull off some sort of miraculous comeback or stop some sort of miraculous comeback you know it's, it's like you know one way or another they need to to settle down and um, I think Dallas have been I guess more consistent at scoring points but you know it's the dumpster fire of the NFC East so anything could happen Alex Smith versus Andy Dalton just depends who you want more <laughs> oh, oh man should we run to our game preview for the Sunday game? Yes, let's do that. And for once, uh, the Cardinals aren't on Sky Sports. Yes, our streak of five games in a row ends. They decided to go for Cleveland-Jacksonville instead. Don't know why. You <laughs> it's know. an odd, odd choice, but there you go. I guess Jacksonville does have that big UK contingent of fans. Plus it's also a 6pm kickoff, so, you know. No red zone for us this weekend. No, indeed. Also, you know, time zone, we say it every time, but the Cardinals traditionally don't do as well in. Well, I mean, the weather outlook for Sunday in New England isn't too bad for them. 
sunny and eight degrees Celsius. Yeah, I mean the the lack of it being a snow game would be uh, quite good, I think, for the Cardinals in this situation. Two thousand and eight, we played them in New England, and it was a snow game. I think we scored seven points in that one. Yeah. I mean, to be fair, it's like a snow game is tough for for everyone, but um, obviously best for a, a team that that you know lives somewhere snowy. And exactly, and eight degrees is tropical temperatures compared to what we are going through the past couple of days in England. <laughs> exactly. Um, but no, I mean, yeah, eight degrees Celsius. It's it's going to be chilly, but it's not going to be cold. You know, I suppose it depends on the wind direction, that sort of thing. But you know, we're not getting into that. We're not weathermen, are we? <laughs> we're not uh the coach from the simpsons what we do want to talk about i think about is the uh the record of new england so far this season yeah they're currently third in the afc east after a four and six record this season yeah got uh wins over the jets and the raiders more interestingly uh they've beaten well at the time semi-resurgent miami um and also you know the baltimore ravens I mean, they beat Miami in week one, so that was before Tua. That was with Ryan Fitzpatrick still at quarterback. It was with Ryan Fitzpatrick, that's fair. But I mean, the win over Baltimore was only like last week. Baltimore equally have been kind of falling down the rankings a little bit as people kind of learn to deal with Lamar Jackson a little bit more. But, you know, it, it doesn't stop it being impressive. Those are those are two, you know, tough air teams. The Jets and the Raiders less so, but the... Uh, yeah, I would say that the the Miami and the Baltimore uh, games are a bit more impressive. However, they have also uh, lost to San Francisco quite badly as well, I, as I recall. Yeah, although I don't think it was uh, I don't think it was quite as badly as to Kansas City, but at least you could uh, you could forgive that one a bit more. I know exactly who'd want to lose to San Francisco, but like I think it was thirty three to six, something like that. Oh, that's so grim. It's fair to say this isn't the New England of old, though, with Tom Brady and that. No, it's definitely not. And, and you know, big changes, obviously, afoot at kind of a few levels, I guess, of the organization there. Yeah, obviously, quarterback, they've got Cam Newton there now, who I think we'll talk about in a little bit. Yeah, for sure. All time, the Cardinals and New England Patriots are tied seven apiece in the series. I always, like, it, it never ceases to amaze me, you know, sometimes with these teams, how little they've played for how long they've been about you know if this is like essentially the 15th ever match uh between those two teams um but yeah pretty evenly done and if i remember rightly though the the last two meetings i think with the patriots we've lost it's been a one each in the last two has it yeah because i remember them coming to the desert yeah we beat them in 2012 and then they beat us in 2016 or the other way around, one of the two. I think they, yeah, they beat us in twenty sixteen for sure, and we must have been beat. We must have beat them in twenty twelve. I did actually look at the page before we started, so you know, I should have <laughs> actually made a note of that. <laughs> should have remembered. Make us uh, sound like thingy. Make us sound professional. <laughs> Since when have we ever sounded professional? I mean, we try. Yeah, a little. That's fair. Not much. Well, professionally speaking, uh, let's talk about the danger men of the team, especially Cam Newton. Although to highlight our professionalism, we're going to talk about his dress sense, which seems to get more coverage in his game on the field, especially this last week when he was dressed as the mountain climber from The Price is Right. Okay, okay. Controversial opinion here. I really like Cam Newton's dress sense. I think he's dead stylish. I don't really care for it, to be honest. I mean, I wouldn't wear it, but, you know, each to their own. 
I wouldn't wear it because I wouldn't get away with it. Like I, I, I think uh, you know the thing that's impressive about his dress sense is the fact that he can get away with what he does. But we we can talk about that more on uh, on our fashion podcast later. A special coming soon. <laughs> yeah, an off season special of uh, of Cardinals fashion. We should have done it a few years ago when they had the. Um, Remember the forfeits from the trash can challenge? Yes, and you all had to like dress up as like superheroes or babies, that sort of thing. Yeah, or cheerleaders or something like that. But that's that's not a fashion though. That's not. In, but I mean, Cameron probably better them, but that's another thing <laughs> entirely. It was fashion-ish, you know. Anyway, I mean, let's you know talk about him on the field. You know, it's uh, he's a guy who's given the Cardinals a bit of issues in the in the past few times that they've met him, albeit when he was. Uh, in his guise as a Carolina Panther. I mean, you can't forget his debut performance, can you? Like when he passed for like 400 odd yards and still lost the game, didn't he? Yeah. I mean, he's, he's, he's an incredibly talented quarterback and um, I'm sure that we will see him click more in new England as he settles in and as they, you know, as they actually build an offense around him and his skill set, as opposed to kind of, you know, keeping a Tom Brady style offense for him. But that being said, you know, for now, I think it would be, you know, daft to not take advantage of a, at times, slightly uncomfortable looking Cam Newton. Yeah, I mean, like, if we can get pressure on him, you know, who knows what will happen. Might start throwing a few picks our way, fumble the ball a bit. If we hit him hard enough, we'll see. And that's definitely going to be one of the keys, right, is bringing in, you know, things like our uh, our signing of Demata Peco really really bringing that pressure in and, and making him make decisions that he doesn't want to make yeah i mean he's got a decent run game to fall back on and if our defensive line issues are making you know they could take advantage of that with sony michelle damian harris and james white in the backfield and also not forgetting cam newton's rushing ability yeah and you know that's the other thing about cam newton as well if he's rushing you know it's not it's not like other quarterback rushes where you know you don't really need to tackle him necessarily. You just need to get near enough to him that he'll take the slide. I, Cam Newton, and we have seen him do it before, will run through you if he thinks he can. I'm looking forward to seeing him and Isaiah Simmons crashing in the field. Yeah, I think that would be a really exciting matchup, actually. It'd be a good one to watch. Simmons is a big guy himself. I saw a picture of him stood next to Hopkins, and you think he looks big? But like Simmons next to him is like giant. I think as well with the New England Patriots, like last year, they had the number one defense on in the league, whereas in 2020, they have the 32nd overall defense based on the football outsiders DVOA rating, whatever that is. How does the DVOA work? And it says the main statistic used on football outsiders, DVOA breaks down the entire season play by play, comparing success on each play to the league average based on a number of variables, including down, distance, location on field, current score gap, quarter, and opponent quality. Oh man, okay, so it's it's a, a complicated statistic then, to say the least. So it's nothing to do necessarily with like the exact yards given up or anything like that. I mean, it's pretty accurate considering, like, if you look at the league stats and that sort of thing. I mean, I'm just saying, you know, like with with a metric like that, you know, it can be very accurate in terms of giving us a, a you know, breakdown of of how the defense is performing as a whole, but it doesn't necessarily tell us as why the defense isn't performing. It's kind of like just another PFF number, you know. It could just be any number, and people will believe it. I mean, it's still a huge drop, isn't it, going from the first to the last and. It's something that we've talked about all year being, you know, the key to winning with the Cardinals 
is to just outscore the opponent, right? You know, like we know our defense has some holes and some issues. We need to get those scores and then, you know, hopefully with a, a sort of less good defense that we're playing up against, we can get those scores and, you know, we can we can do that without getting too many flags on the way. Just depends if we can actually start quick in this one as well, because, you know, how notoriously slow we are to start on the East Coast. Well, I think that's going to be a big, big part of it as well, isn't it? You know, it's like if we've only got a solid offense running for the second half, then that's obviously not going to do as much good, really. Especially if we're going to be giving up points throughout the game. Should we give you some predictions for this game then, to round off this episode? Yeah, go on. You go first because I'm I'm struggling with this one. Okay, so for me, I'm going to go with a Cardinals thirty, New England twenty win. So you're that's quite a decisive win, really. Yeah, I'll take a ten point win. Why not? Right. Well, I'm definitely going to keep the Cardinals scoring more than twenty one because I like that streak going. And honestly, I think it's hard to see us not putting up numbers like that, at least. I think I'm going to go for Cardinals, let's call it let's call it 24, New England 17. May as well be a close game with the Cardinals. <laughs> Cardiac cards. Even on the East Coast, they can't do it. Well, they still do it on the East Coast. We'll see that on Sunday, though, because if we don't win this one, we go to 6-5 and five and everyone will be calling for Cliff Kingsbury's head, as always, <laughs> after a loss. Yeah, I... I think it will be it will be a bit of a decisive game, really. But um, in terms of you know remaining schedule, you could see this one as a must win. You know, against an opponent that you definitely we definitely could win against. You know, I think that this is where you need a a good bounce back from that kind of loss at Seattle and something to kind of buoy you up to say, you know, yeah, you can do this for the remaining six games. I mean, I definitely want to win this one because otherwise that just puts a lot of pressure on the LA Rams game the following weekend. Yeah, definitely. And that's a game that you really don't want pressure on. And that's a game we'll talk about in the next episode. But for this episode of the British Bird Gang Breakdown, that'll do. But before you go, you have to remember to go follow us at British Bird Gang on Twitter and like us at facebook.com forward slash British Bird Gang. Enjoy the group at facebook.com forward slash groups forward slash British Bird Gang. Buy British Bird Gang merch at britishbirdgang.tmail.com. Buy British Bird Gang merchandise well, different merchandise at the coffee <laughs> shop, which is a link on our Twitter page, the top pinned tweet. And also, if you're thinking of buying anything for the NFL fan in your life or just for yourself, remember to click on the affiliate links on our Twitter page to give us a little kickback because, you know, we need money. Jerseys don't pay for themselves, you know. <laughs> Cursed jerseys. But yes, thanks for listening to episode 105 of the British Bird Gang Breakdown. Until next week, goodbye. Thanks for listening. Goodbye.